You're listening to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast, a comfy, cozy place for private practice introverts, highly sensitive therapists, and solopreneurs who help and heal. This is the place for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. Hello there, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Cindy. Here in episode 52, I'm going to chat with guests Sharon Goldsteinberg and Karen Lund of The Resource Therapist, and we'll be discussing the topic of empathy versus compassion fatigue, what causes burnout. Now on to our conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sharon Goldsteinberg and Karen Lund. They are co-creators of The Resource Therapist, so I'm really happy to have you all here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. Why don't you share a little bit about how you got started with The Resource Therapist? Yeah. Um, Sharon and I met, gosh, a handful of years ago, I think when we were actually, we were both established as therapists in different stages of our careers. And we ended up sort of learning from one another, which just formed this kind of instant respect and bond. So I was um, a pretty new therapist at the time and taking this course from Sharon and two other therapists about um, resonance and interpersonal resonance in therapy, which I just loved and immediately respected Sharon and her wisdom and clear, compassionate teaching style so much. And at the same time, Sharon started showing up as a yin yoga student in my classes and I think um, from what Sharon has shared, that was just like an incredibly grounding experience for her. And yeah, we just started thinking and dreaming together, like, hey, therapists probably could use some support. Like this is feeling so good and right and filling a need for both of us and each of us. Like, could we come together and share this? And a shared sort of vision was born. And it was fueled for me too, both by this wonderful synergy and friendship that we had And I'd gone to a conference where I had gone to a session on vicarious trauma for therapists. And it was not a topic I had thought as much about. And the woman who ran it named Jackie Burke from Australia was just so compelling about how this is not therapist's fault. And it's an inevitable thing that happens. And I realized so much healing for me, um, kind of week to week of what I was carrying um, from my professional work and, you know, from just being a human it was so therapeutic what I was experiencing in Karin's class, which was a chance to feel nurtured and to feel a somatic release and support. Um, and that was when, after one of those classes, I said to Karin, we got we to gotta take this medicine to other people. Um, we both have ways, uh, you know, wisdom about how to be a therapist and take care of ourselves and each other. Um, and that goes beyond ideas. It's also about having somatic resources and taking care of our nervous system and our temperaments. And uh, then we started with creating meditations for therapists. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. This is something that, I mean, it's always been important, but I feel like now more than ever, it's so important for therapists to have these resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we live through a lot of the same crises that our clients are going through, it's this unique experience of just such an increase in vicarious trauma exposure. You know, if the people that we are working with, they let us into their world and that's such a gift, but we are bearing witness to pain and suffering 
from many things that we are experiencing in our same lives, um, current events, relational strain, <laughs> economic changes. And um, that, yeah, that's just like really changed the landscape for what it means as a therapist, knowing that all of us really are experiencing this level of vicarious trauma for many, many hours a day. And, you know, it's still going on today as we record towards the end of 2021. So it's an ongoing conversation and really an urgent and important one about like, how do we really think more deeply about how we take care of ourselves as we care for others, knowing that we have this increase in exposure? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because burnout is a big topic now because so many people are experiencing it. And I know that's going to be our topic today. We're going to be talking about how, um, you know, the difference between empathy and compassion fatigue and what is really causing our burnout. Mm-hmm. And, and then it is helpful, like these terms we often use interchangeably and, and Karen and I in conversation and in our writings um, and our emails weekly to people and, um, to our subscribers are really trying to clarify these different overlapping terms. Um, you know, Karen was talking about vicarious trauma, which is when you start to experience trauma symptoms yourself based on what you're hearing from people. So it can involve burnout, like that feeling of exhaustion, depletion, maybe starting to get cynical about the world, plus some PTSD symptoms. So that's vicarious trauma is one category and extreme. And burnout is probably more common and that so many professionals are feeling right now because there's just been such an increased demand in mental health needs. And because of what Karen is saying too, that it's unusual before the pandemic, I had a caseload where people came with all different issues and they were often, some overlapped with my own and some were different. And once the pandemic and other kinds of uh, current event crises were happening, there was a lot of overlap. So burnout is kind of that exhaustion, depletion, Mm -hmm. um, cynicism about the world, apathy. Um, And one piece of that can be then what people have talked about is compassion fatigue. And I suppose that's a whole other topic, the difference between compassion fatigue and empathy fatigue of uh, people have been trying to capture one aspect of burnout. What does it mean when you're emotionally exhausted from your work and from feeling so much? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was. Yeah, I think it's really important to designate the differences between all these because I think that because people are probably experiencing a bit of all of these and they're just getting lumped into one category, and it makes it harder to understand maybe what you're going through and how you how you work through it or how you can help yourself. So yeah, I'm super excited to, um, yeah, for y'all to help us understand the difference between all of these different terms that we've been using so frequently these past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, we're happy to describe that a little more, but I know at the heart and the forefront of what we want to emphasize is just that this is expected and none of it is our fault. So we want to help, you know, everyone listening into this understand a little more nuance about like, what is it I'm feeling that, you know, is this impact from the job, but to really understand that this is an occupational hazard. It's not any different than a firefighter getting smoke inhalation. As we, you know, our our jobs are so special and unique in that we open our hearts and we want to resonate emotionally with what's going on for other 
people. And that includes pain and struggle and suffering. And we know that simply our biggest risk for having, you know, a burnout response or feeling depleted or overwhelmed or vicarious trauma simply is that exposure. So we want to first really frame the conversation around just remembering and being so compassionate with ourselves that this is not our fault. Like we are going to learn ways to protect ourselves, to um, really kind of manage what we're holding and things that don't take a lot of time, but we don't want anyone to feel that this isn't because I didn't exercise enough or I'm not doing the right self-care outside of my work hours, or I'm just not strong enough or tough enough. This really is the inevitable impact. And so when we can come into the conversation, understanding that it's, it's really a question of how my work will impact me and when, not if, Mm -hmm. we can perhaps meet ourselves in that space of help, support, and healing a little more. Yeah. I love that you mentioned when and not if, because Mm -hmm. it, uh, I don't know, sometimes you can have this thought of, oh, it's not going to happen to me because I am doing my self-care practices and think you're doing everything right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it is just a condition of the job. So I think it's great that you, you share it in that way. And I think uh, as well as Karen's describing how we open our hearts, we also always acknowledge to people that's one of the most beautiful gifts of the work we do, that we get to be there and uh, in other people's vulnerability and with our own. And in that, we see incredible growth and healing and witness the very best of humanity and have a chance during these difficult times to do really meaningful work. I know having a purpose during this time and meaningful connections with people, even if we're figuring out how to do that, you know, in online sessions, so different than the work we've done in person uh, solely in the past, it's like really filled our hearts. It's really helped us not feel helpless during a difficult time. And it's this flip side, it's our ability to open our hearts and be empathic or compassionate that brings the greatest joy and reward in our work and is very healing, I think, for other people. And it's the source of our greatest risk of then what we take into our hearts. Yeah. And the way that you describe that, if you are acting as a therapist, there's no way that you can totally prevent this because like you said, it is an opening of the heart and that's where all of this healing comes from. And we have some of our most wonderful experiences and because we are able to do that, there are some other things that come along with that, that can be a little harder for us to, to manage or to deal with as a result. Yeah, one of the things that is really important to us is to think about the difference between empathy fatigue and compassion fatigue, um, because we hear a lot of um, therapists and other professionals too. Sometimes we work with teachers or healthcare people or people in other professions who similarly open their heart, um, and they worry: Is it because I feel too much compassion that I'm feeling burned out? And we have a pretty strong reaction to that, which is that. It's not your compassion that's burning you out. Um, That we really think of compassion as kind of a renewable resource. Um, It is the exposure to all the suffering that might be burning you out. And, um, but the research also shows that compassion, when they study what happens in our brain with it, it's really connected to the reward systems in our brain and the bonding and connection systems. 
So compassion, which is the wishing for other people's suffering to diminish or ease, actually helps our brain to feel little pings of dopamine and releases of oxytocin, the same kind of falling in love hormones or even nursing a baby hormones um, that help us feel a greater connection with humanity. So we're pretty clear that it's not our compassion um, that's burning us out. It may actually be the compassion that's helping to keep some of us going. I love that. And with the research behind it, and you were talking about it being a renewable resource. So does that mean that there may not technically be something called compassion fatigue because it is a renewable resource and maybe it's something a little different? Yeah, I think what folks are usually feeling is actually empathy fatigue. So empathy is when we are feeling with another and just sort of sitting in that emotional space. You know, our mirror neurons means that we don't really differentiate if a trauma is happening to someone else or to us. Our nervous system is taking it in all the same. And so we sit there in empathic resonance, and that's a tool of therapy. We want to empathically engage with the person we are working with. Um, but it, when we can add that level of compassion, so not just, wow, I'm feeling this sense of helplessness, there's empathy. Well, that alone without compassion certainly can lead to empathy, fatigue, and burnout. Like, I just can't feel any more of this. When we add compassion practice, that looks like taking empathic awareness. Oh, this helplessness, this pain, this suffering into may this person's suffering decrease. May I be helpful? May I steward some healing in this moment? May I be here with? So really bringing it to that awareness that I wish for suffering to decrease for this individual. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people who kind of talk about the power of compassion and, and the ways to use it and self-compassion. But the work that really, um, I just wanted to name Matthew Ricard as um, one of the first, what he's, his work is one of the first I discovered about this topic and really got me looking into, um, got us looking into the neuros, <laughs> the neuroscience behind it and the brain imaging. Yeah. You know, we all have those moments where our words stumble. So here's a therapist <laughs> being human. Just there yeah. it is. The words it don't happens. always come as clearly as we want. <laughs> it happens yeah. to me all the time after doing this podcast for a year. There's plenty of times Absolutely. that I've stumbled over my yeah. words. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, a great reason to be in partnership because having, you know, Sharon and I working together, it's like I get into a moment like this and I just hand it right over. So Sharon, <laughs> over to you. <laughs> You know, I was um, in preparation for this, trying to think about times in my life where I've experienced empathy fatigue or um, burnout or vicarious trauma to try to like differentiate them. And I was thinking back to being a new therapist with a new private practice. And at, I think like a lot of people newer in the work, you tend to have a harder caseload. And for me, I wasn't in an agency at that point. I had just started out on my own, but I had an openness and like, yes, I'll take any case. My heart is wide open and I just want to have a practice. And I accepted a couple really hard cases. And I remember a couple that involved um, high conflict divorce. And my parents had a high conflict divorce when I was an early adult, thank goodness, not a child. But I didn't realize how much um, I was at risk in those situations for some empathy fatigue, because I could really feel what the kids in those families were feeling 
like it was happening to me again, you know, and we know that one of the risks certainly for vicarious trauma and for burnout is having our own trauma history. Um, that doesn't mean we can't do this work, but we have to be even more aware of our own sensitivity. So I think I got, it was a combination of almost sometimes feeling too much empathy and not yet knowing how to have good enough boundaries in my practice. So I was taking a lot of after hours crisis calls from the parents and parents that sort of war with each other, which, you know, would trigger for me just having played that on that role in my own family. And so I think I did start to feel some of that empathy fatigue, like it's just hard to go there. And I don't think I got to the vicarious trauma, you know, kind of place, but I was on my way before I got some more supervision to figure out how to balance what was my client's experience and what was my own. And we didn't think of it in those terms then, you know, this was like 30 years ago, but I think I would think of it now. I needed both to have some more boundaries around my work so that there were hours I was off from these cases. And I learned to have better boundaries with families and high conflict um, so that it didn't spread to after hours. And it would have really helped me at the time to be sitting with myself saying, okay, I feel all this empathy but this isn't happening to me right now. It's reminding me of my own experiences, but it's not happening to me. And had I been able to step back and offer these families more compassion rather than feel like I have to go in there and rescue them because nobody, you know, rescued me well enough. Oh, it's just too much. But to say, wow, I really feel what they're feeling. And I wish I'll do my best to help them find some more peace. Um, And yet that's what I can do. I can, I can and make it more sustainable for me, have boundaries and a wishing for their suffering to ease and knowing I'll offer some suggestions that might help with that and they may or may not take them, mm-hmm. but that's what I can do. Yeah. I love yeah. that piece of it where you said, and this is what I can do. Mm-hmm. I think just coming back to that can be so helpful because there's only so much that you can do. And I think being mm-hmm. able to distinguish what you can and what you can't do and that you're not here to fix because that's not really in your control, but you can uh, show up in mm-hmm. in the best way that you can. And, and you have no control whether the, you know, what the clients do with this that you're providing them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love the way that you said that. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It really reminds me of Laura Vandernoot Lipsky's trauma stewardship work, where one of her pieces of advice is to set a mission statement that is under your control to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So if our mission statement is I'm going to help this family be functional and, you know, the adults cope well, so their children aren't hurt in the aftermath of their divorce, I don't really have control over that. Mm -hmm. I show up compassionately. I try to keep an open mind and I try to offer some helpful suggestions in a kind and compassionate way. A lot more chance I can complete my mission statement and then go home feeling like I have done enough. Yeah. And I think that can be even more difficult. Like you were talking about as a newer therapist, you usually have a a more difficult caseload in that maybe you don't have all the training and expertise to work with this wide variety of concerns that the clients are coming for. And I'm wondering, you know, fresh out of school, you can feel really optimistic, which is a great thing. And, and I don't know if, um, 
if what causes people to burn out so quickly is having that view of maybe not setting those realistic goals and setting goals that are maybe out of their control and framing it in, oh, I'm going to help this family do this, or I'm going to help this client do this. And when it doesn't happen, um, that can be really tough, especially on a new therapist and can sometimes feel defeated. You're so right. I think the burnout from new therapists can come from a lot of different directions. And we, I mean, we could have multiple episodes just on that experience in the first few years because so much is happening internally, but also externally. You know, I I do want to speak to maybe a couple of things newer therapists could think about. But first, I just also want to name the role that our uh, like policies play in this and just the way that we've set up the system, you know, that they're is not always at different agencies or different jobs, a lot of choice a person has about their caseload and how many hours. And so we're really setting people up for overwhelm. Like what we know is like the greatest risk, if we go back to vicarious trauma, the greatest risk for a vicarious trauma response is exposure. And there's not necessarily, you know, those who are managers, like, please think about this, those in administration, like, can we actually set up a workplace to help protect people on the front end? So that's not just adding to a burden of what can you do that you feel burned out and overwhelmed, what can you do differently? We also want to give a message that we're holding you throughout, you know, levels of policies and operations and systems. Like here are some ways we want to help protect you from the front end. So, you know, my greatest wish would be that newer therapists would get smaller caseloads and, you know, have a lot of support around them because once you feel more resourced, you feel more ready typically to take on and deal with the impact of maybe more challenging cases or, a, you know, greater number of hours of clinical work. Of course, that varies person to person, circumstance to circumstance. But I just want to name that, especially for the newer therapists, that might feel overwhelmed being asked to, you know, do 30 clinical hours a week, 25 a week. Like that can, that can feel really, really hard. Um, you know, and one thing that Sharon and I can at least offer today for anyone listening who's early in their career is just to remember that some of these feelings are really natural and people coming through the career and starting their career feel this way. I mean, for reasons Sharon just named, like for the first time, things in my own past might be stirred up emotionally within me. I want to help so much and I'm running up against feelings of helplessness. And so I think that acknowledging and validation, this doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean you've picked the wrong career. And the more that you can connect with mentors, colleagues, supervisors who help send that compassionate message, like what you feel is okay. I also hear your suffering and pain and let me help you think of ways to maybe make small moment to moment adjustments. That can be a path to total transformation over time and feeling a lot less overwhelmed and burned out in the work. And I guess I would want to echo too for therapists early in mid-career seasoned therapists right now working in these almost two years of cultural and crisis and collective trauma none of you created those circumstances none of mm-hmm. created a mental health system that doesn't have enough money and resources in it um, and so if you are feeling burned out if you are having some vicarious trauma or empathy fatigue Again, it is really not your fault. Um, I know for therapists, it's been so hard feeling like they're getting so many phone calls and requests and referrals that they can't meet. And that's a source of burnout as well. That feeling of there's when when there's someone in need of help and we can actually help, we feel empowered or get some of that 
that good reward feeling Mm -hmm. when there's people in need and we can't help a lot of therapists take that to heart and feel very weighed down by it, but just let everyone know um, you didn't create that system. That's creating those stress points right now. And it's good enough that you're doing your part to help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the perfect message to lead this episode with today for therapists to know that they did not create these conditions and it's not their fault what they're going through right now. And I know that we're going to be, uh, y'all are going to join us again next week. And we're going to talk about moment to moment self-care practices so that Mm -hmm. you can help protect against burnout. Um, so anything else that you would like, uh, for the audience to know, um, how can they reach out to you and find out more about the work that you're doing? Sure. Yeah. We have a um, sort of online home. We Our website, www.resourcetherapist.com. And that's sort of like a one-stop platform. We have a lot of free resources to resource therapists, <laughs> including meditations, downloads, and a blog. Um, and I want to mention a couple other resources. Maybe I'll let Sharon in a moment, but I just want to say along with the free resource, we have a thriving community on our weekly Dear Healer email. So every Monday, Sharon and I drop into people's inboxes with little nuggets like this, just kind of talking about what it feels like to be as a therapist. We share wisdom, loving kindness, support, and encouragement um, with yeah, hundreds, I think well <laughs> over 1,600 now therapists. Um, worldwide. Um, so we also have some other resources that I'll let Sharon speak to as well. So we really see ourselves as holistically wanting to take care of the whole person of the therapist and other allied healers. And so we also offer um, live self-care workshops, at least two a month. Um, Karin does her yin yoga class, which is how I fell in love with her form, one of her forms of healing. Um, <laughs> And I do one that we call these together refresh classes. And mine is called a Friday release class um, that we get therapists from all over the U.S. and Canada who come and together we do some breathing. We do some um, stretching. We do some sometimes dancing or shaking off tension and then a really lovely guided meditation. So we want people to be able to leave behind um, at the end of their week or some or on a Monday night with a yin class, some of what they're carrying body and mind. And then we also offer continuing ad workshops because we believe when therapists feel more capable around their hardest cases, like trauma ones, um, they're less at risk for burnout. So we also offer professional development courses. Yeah. The work that y'all are doing is amazing. And I'm thinking about not only are you, uh, you know, educating people about these things, you are providing resources that helps them to recover and mm-hmm. to prevent burnout. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a beautiful, um, beautiful thing you have going on at the resource therapist. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. I truly appreciate y'all taking your time out to, to share this information that therapists really need right now. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. It's been our pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. For episode 53, I continue my conversation with Sharon and Karen of The Resource Therapist, where we discuss moment-to-moment self-care practices to protect against burnout. If you haven't yet listened to episode 51, I urge you to do that. In that episode, I talk about life and business planning with the moon phases and share the associated energies of the eight phases of the moon. (music) 
I'm truly grateful that you choose to join me here for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. For more inspiration and to see what I'm up to, join me over on Instagram at Mountain Practice Journeys. If you're enjoying yourself here, please head over to Apple Podcasts and hit those five stars and I'll be over the moon. And if you'd like to work with me, join me in Forest Mind, my cozy small group mastermind for private practice introverts, highly sensitive therapists, and solopreneurs who help and heal. May the forest be with you.